This is episode 48 of The Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's guest is Sarah Jones, and we're going to have an interesting and interwoven conversation about love, relationships, strategy, creativity, and back to loving yourself again. Let's see how this all hangs together. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to The Creative Giant Show where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Alrighty, creative giants. I'd like to introduce you to Sarah Jones. Sarah Jones founded Introverted Alpha to help smart, introverted men attract women naturally. She especially loves working with earnest, kind men who lack experience, but know they have a lot to offer. Her work has been featured on Cosmo, Business Insider, The Good Men Project, Your Tango, The San Francisco Chronicle, and more. Sarah's on the show today because of the interesting way in which she combines her way of thinking about relationships with introverted men, her strategy, and the calls that she's supporting behind the scenes with Introverted Alpha. It's going to be a great conversation. Sarah, thanks so much for the work you do in the world and for being on the show today. Charlie, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All righty. So we're going to jump like we always do and go to origin stories because I'm really fascinated to learn how you ended up doing what you're doing now. So um, talk to us about what you were doing before and how you slid into this position. For sure. Well, I have always loved introverted men. Smart introverted men are my favorite. I love them. And it took me a while to realize that as simply as I just presented it. Um, So the backstory is that I have been doing tutoring on and off for over 10 years. So academic tutoring, all ages, kids, adults, everything. And my angle was always to help them build confidence. And then of course they could do the academic work after that. It's like that naturally followed. The confidence was really important and that's what they were missing. That's why they needed my help. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like a coaching situation before I even knew what coaching was starting when I was like 16. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting how that's how I saw things all along. And then I, my undergrad was in art, um, interestingly enough. And I just wasn't really thinking about what I was going to do business-wise. I was just doing what I was interested to do and just trusting that everything would fall together, which since then I've um, learned what strategy is <laughs> and the importance of that. Thank yep. God. <laughs> Much easier with the strategy in place. So I did that. Then I did sales for a little bit as a job right out of college. And then um, and then eventually I started selling my art, but realized that wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. But I did have a newsletter list who loved what I was writing and the paintings I was sending. And they told me that it was changing how they saw the world. I'm like, okay, getting back to the basics of my passion, which is watching people um, uh, change in a way that feels really good for them. So I just learned what coaching was. This is a a few years ago. I just learned what coaching was. And I'm like, you want to know what? That's what I want to do. You know, I want to have my own business and I want to help people through coaching. So I enrolled in in coaching school um, and I started learning what a business was, like how to really make a business. Because my art thing, well, I sold some art. 
I didn't really understand how to make a business out of it. It was just, there was a lot of missing pieces in my knowledge. So I went about that. I worked for another dating coaching company for a while of helping all kinds of men with dating and attraction. And after doing that for about a year, um, things started to crystallize. How to create a business. Also, the fact that I loved introverted men so much. And those were the clients of mine that did the best. And those are the men that are in my personal life. You know, um, my family, my boyfriend, um, my ex, my friends, all the linear logical type. Alrighty. So you jumped a step though. So you went from confidence, you went from writing, you went from some of these things to a dating coach. And that's, there's a jump there that yeah. I want to talk about. And I ha- how, how does one go from just confidence to dating? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. So you know, there were some definite middle steps. So I was selling my art and that's when I realized that I wanted to do coaching. So I knew that, but I didn't know what a niche was. I didn't know what an angle was. I just wanted to be a life coach. Okay. So as, as soon as I enrolled in coaching school, I also started learning about business because I knew that in order to make this work, I've got to make my own business. I wanted to make my own business. And everyone was saying from every angle, you have to find a niche. I didn't even really understand what a niche was. So I had to really look at the nitty gritty. Okay. So it's a certain group of people you help with a certain problem. And it just was like, uh, such a mystery to me. And I had gone through lots of different angles of just trying to figure out what would be the right fit. And so I went, my first angle was on helping people feel more peaceful, people who had been having some anxiety, because those were some of the people who were writing me from my art list. Okay. And then I realized that actually the most fun thing to talk about was what I was experiencing a personal awakening in, in my personal life, which was dating and attraction. So for the first time in my mid-20s, I was having the most fun time dating. Um, And I had either been single and not dating at all or with one person for an extended period of time, just whatever kind of relationship kind of came along. I didn't really do a lot of the in-between dating. So for the first time in my life, I was doing that. It was really going so beautifully, so much fun. So I was like, oh, I can help other women do what I'm doing. It's so fun. And then in some of my um, uh, practice groups in coaching and in sales courses I was in, I when I worked with men, I really enjoyed it. And one man in particular said to me, you know, this is going so well. You as a woman coaching me as a man talking to me, have you considered working with men? And I'm like, well, that seems kind of different from what the norm would be, you know, like, cause like you mentioned, it's kind of an, a different angle to take, but I really realized if I looked back on it, I've always, you know, the tutoring clients I most enjoyed everything is men. I really love working with men. And so I'm like, okay, helping men with dating and attraction. Let's try that. All I knew was the coaching, you know, that's all I knew, but I found a dating coaching company that I resonated with and they hadn't ever hired a coach before, but we just, we met and it was a serendipitous thing. And so with my sales knowledge, I just put together the sales and the coaching and they had a list already and products. So it was like, I came in, did some coaching and built a lot of experience. And I learned from the ground up how to coach men and dating and attraction. So I learned that with my clients, um, before it started to really gel and come together that A, this was working, and B, I understood niching and business much better, and C, introverted men were my favorites. 
All right. All right. I see that now. You know, as you were telling that story and you're like, I'm a dating coach for women, I'm like, how big of a need is that? And I know that sounds like... It's like, not really, well, not that much of a need. That's part of the issue. Well, I, I think I'm going to get in all sorts of trouble here. I, I think there might be different stages of life where it might be harder or easier, right, in that case. But, you know, that's what I was wondering. If you're t- if you're taking the, the pain, the marketing language, the pain that, that men in that age bracket are facing, and especially introverted men, and pain that women are facing in that age bracket around dating, I think you get a huge asymmetry there. Right. But that's what it seems like from my side. I'm, I'm a guy looking, looking at it, you know, have you noticed that too? I've definitely noticed that as well a lot. And my desire to coach men emerged before I realized that it, there wasn't as much need there. But I think that if my desire hadn't shifted at immediately, that knowledge would have would have come into play because it's something that I really noticed after. And also just the way that men and women frame dating. So now we're both going to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> Good, join me. I'm already in hot water. It's, it's fine. I'm going to join you right, right on the hot spot right there. I'm going to come over there. Uh, so this is the way that I've seen it. And of course, especially at this point, the amount of I've worked with men has been dramatically more than the amount I've talked to women. But it seems in my everyday conversations and just in my understanding of the culture that a lot of women, when they talk about dating, they talk about things that they'd like to see men doing differently. Okay. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the consensus problem is if men would do this and that much better. And I understand that. That's a normal thing to think. They hear it from other women. That's normal. Men, however, say, shit, I need to get my act together. What can I do different? So they're very coachable also. And the need is higher because there's more responsibility on them from everyone's point of view, from theirs and from women's. Um, So for all those reasons, um, men are, are very coachable in that way. And the need is higher and their responsibility is the sense of responsibility is higher and it is harder for them because, you know, they have to um, approach and figure it out and find out what's great about them and, and do all of that, especially for introverted men, like you mentioned, in a culture that doesn't often, you know, encourage and compliment them. Men in general get complimented so much less than women do, really. Um, I find that all the time. That men are like, I don't know, my mom told me X, Y, Z, but like, I don't know if that's like, if I could count on that or not. Yeah, well, and from the sort of male development point of view, there's this thing about being introverted. I'm, I'm more ambiverted, and so I can go either way depending upon the situation. So sometimes I have the problem, other times I don't, um, which gives me a lot of sympathy. There you go. Um, or empathy, whichever one, empathy. There we go. Um the thing about it is, is there's like this friend zone and you probably have had to work with your, with your, you know, um, clients on that. Because if you're more reserved and more laid back, you're more likely to get put in overall things. Like you think you get trapped into the friend zone. And so if you're wanting to date and things like that, then it just gets weird. Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you don't even know how much sense that makes okay. <laughs> to me. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and so there's this challenge because even though you might be really confident in yourself and you just really know who you are, you have to know that in, in a broader trend that you can kind of get caught in like the friend zone eddy, you know, everybody else doing whatever they're doing. And you're like, oh, there's like, oh, there's Tony. Tony's a nice guy, but he's not the dateable guy. You know, he's not that other guy. Yeah, that is 
So key. It's so, and you know, here's the interesting thing that is, it's really, when men understand this, they're like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. What puts men in that friend zone category of not that they have failed to escalate with a woman, but just their overall vibe. The woman sees him is like, oh, that's a nice friend, right? That moment. That's what I understand you were describing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, and what I've found is that it's not about being introverted versus extroverted. Okay. It's about how comfortable or not they are with their sexuality period and their sexual attraction that they feel and how sexually attractive they feel. So you can find men that are, you know, like, like the strong silent type, right? Like these dark kind of mysterious men, they're introverted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're sexy as hell. Anybody can see that in a second. And that's because they feel they, they, they're, they're more bold about just experiencing their own chemistry and attraction with other people, even while they keep to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So Good point. Good point. How how long did it take you to get comfortable with talk to talking to men who you weren't in a relationship with in a professional relationship around owning their sexuality and their sexual attraction, so on and so forth? Because that seems to be one of those lines that that we put up at a certain age. And so, how did you overcome that discomfort, or did you ever have that discomfort? I would say my discomfort was much more present in that whole conversation before I went through my own awakening of sorts in my mid-20s. So before that point, oh my God, I was very uncomfortable about sexuality, period. A lot of that was my religious upbringing that um, now seems a trillion million miles away, you know, but a certain way of viewing sexuality that was felt very scary and limiting to me for a long time. Once I personally went right through that and just felt very open and free personally, then that translated to all kinds of conversations that, you know, with other women, with other men. And it's a, it's a gentle process. I mean, it wasn't just like totally black and white day and night, but it, it, it hasn't, that hasn't been a part of the process for me of like, the comfort about talking about that. Usually the clients are a little bit less comfortable, of course, because we're talking about them anyway. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I've been, that I have been paying attention to all along is, okay, how do I make sure that the way in which we're having this conversation is a, a place where they can feel comfortable and respected and where it's very clear, like I'm here as their mentor. It's not like anything sketchy. And so for me, I found that just by me being clear and, and, um, you know, just having the right vibe in myself, which isn't hard to do. You just, you just have that vibe of wanting to help people and respecting them. Then that, that comes through in the conversations. So it's, it's very subtle. It's kind of hard to, it's much more of something that kind of happens in the background to just make the environment right to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope that answered your question. It did. Yeah, it did. It seems like it's something that, um, you've, um, internalized. And so it's not something you think about often, but I mean, that, that would be one of those things I was, as I was looking over your, your materials, I was like, that could be a really, really awkward conversation if you, if you go that route. Right. Um, and 
speaking of sketchy, right? Um, let's talk about the pickup artist community because this is this is some things that like once you know about it, it's it, it changes the way that you view a lot of different things. But I imagine that given that you're in the dating coaching world, that there is an association with the pickup artist community, so on and so forth. So I'm going to let you frame the, the pickup artist community. And what that's about so that... Um, Are you? I Are am, you? Okay. yes. We're just trading hot seat places right and left over here. Exactly. Right. I'll let you make some enemies. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the pickup community, okay, what that means is it's dating advice for men that is, has a very certain personality to it So and a certain premise. So the premise is be that loud, gregarious center of attention who just doesn't give a shit about anything, about women, about anything. And so now there's a spectrum on that. So on one side of the pickup community can get just very nasty and very disrespectful and just really stomach churning for men and women alike. Okay. On the one end of the spectrum, that's not all pickup, but it's an end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, it, it's just kind of like, okay, you know, it just has this assumption that men being themselves and feeling great isn't enough. They have to use tricks and tactics and like think so hard. And to me personally, it's just like, okay, if you're now, they also talk about the internal side too. It's not all external tricks. They also talk about how to be more confident and stuff. And for some guys, it works. Like I would just say that end of the spectrum, that's not as disrespectful or maybe not even disrespectful at all. You might find some pickup guys that aren't disrespectful, but the way they go about it is it's, um, it's, it's just not the way that I prefer to go about it. And it's not a way that more introverted guys really resonate with. They, they feel like they have to change and become extroverted in order to attract women. So I would say that's, that's a lot of the premise in, in my interpretation of a lot of pickup is, you know, just you being a dude connecting with women. Oh my God, it's way more complicated than that. You have to do this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. So so my angle is 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 quite different from that, um, and and it's not for everybody. That's why I, you know, on my site and in all my communication, I'm only going to attract a certain kind of guy. There's plenty of guys that are already going to discount me a because I'm a woman. Period. So that takes care of a lot of them, mm-hmm. you know. And then on and on you go. But I never hear from them because there's so many filters up that I only hear from the guys that resonate with me. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, to Sarah, she she doesn't have the PUA community. Uh, the PUA aspect on our site. I um, a few years back, a friend of mine was like, "Dude, you've got to read the game. Um, just just read the game." Not because I was in the, I was interested in that. I'm married and and happily so for a long time, but just because of the um, different influence persuasions and one of those things to know about type of thing. So I read it and I was like, "Wow, for sure." Yeah. All right, and so that's Neil Strauss's <laughs> the game. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, that you, it should have like a not safe for work warning, except for like, it will really change the way um, that you think. And on a side note, I was talking to Angel, my wife about that. And so I was explaining some of the, some of the different um, tactics and things that people use. And she's like, Oh my God, I've seen that. I, they use that against my friends, like in grad school and things like that. And she was like, and it totally works. And we had this whole dialogue around it. And anyways, it's, it's, I think it's one of those books that's worth a read, but worth, for different reasons, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's making any sense, Sarah, but I want to make sure that it's making a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to make sure that you, that, that you, you didn't take the pickup thing. Like, like you, you presented a lot of that material. That was actually me looking and I was like, Oh, 
but this is not like the PUA community. Another thing about the the pickup artist community that 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 bugs a lot of people is that it's so um, sex oriented in the sense of you do all these things to mm-hmm. um, to basically have sex. That's really the goal of it, and that's I think where it goes really really astray. Um, but so that's that's also I assume not the the primary goal of of you working with men, correct? Yeah, well, that's that's there are so many interesting things you said. I could, I wish I could go in every direction, but I'll I'll stick with the last thing um, about that. Oh, you know, just wanting sex. So the thing is that a lot of men and women, everybody kind of thinks, in my interpretation, that men just want sex. Men want sex. That's what men want. Okay. Now the reality is, in my experience, that everybody loves sex that that's great that feels good with people that they feel comfortable with for a lot of people it takes them longer to feel comfortable with someone and especially if they're more introverted so a lot of the guys that I talk to are like is it okay that I don't just want sex with 500 women is that okay of course it's okay but they don't even want that they want to make a connection they want to just feel good because what we all really want is to feel great and so a lot of people tie that intrinsically with with the act of sex, which isn't, shouldn't be tied together. A lot of times sex can be awful. It's not always great. So the angle that I like to take with these guys, it's like, oh, should I just want to have sex with everybody? But I don't even want that. It's like, no, you know, what do you want genuinely and honestly? What do you genuinely want? And then let's see how we can make that happen. And then it's just such a more easeful, chill approach that works with, not against, as you mentioned earlier, where your wife was like, oh, they use this thing against my friend and it works. Like that's really important language mm-hmm. because what I, I don't teach anything against women. It's with women. It's, it's with, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, but that what the language that you used was perfect for that mentality of, you know, a lot of, a lot of pick. I'm not going to say all I, you know, cause that's a big statement, but a lot of it is against women. Well, let's, let's, let's be with, let's hang out. Why would we want to be intimate with someone that we think that we just fooled or that we did just fool? That's who, how, who's having fun in that situation? Zero people are truly having fun, in my opinion, um, when it comes to like the tricking on that one side of the continuum that's kind of disrespectful. So, yeah, this is just there's a whole nother way of relating that can be so much more easeful and genuine. And for a lot of guys, that's kind of hard to believe that that's even possible that like women can approach them, for example. A lot of my clients, women approach them because my clients are just so, uh, um, you know, so chill and confident and easeful that women feel very comfortable approaching them. And it just makes everything so much easier (laughs) when you're a guy that women approach. It just makes it much, much nicer. Yeah, there's a very definite analogy between dating and business. We talked a little bit about that. Like if you've got your positioning and your sales and your marketing set up so that you're the one, you're the business owner being approached rather than you going out there and chasing clients, it's a game changer. It's a total game changer. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's uh, exactly right. So no more more on the PUA community. We've talked about that. Um, I did want to talk about the filter, though, because you mentioned there's a lot of people who just don't reach out to you, don't talk to you. I'm curious of if there's been any particularly frustrating and or hurtful backlash against what you're doing coming from different places and what that looks like. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a fun question. I like that question. So not really to, well, I, I can't, I can't say that. There was one thing that was, I don't know how relevant this is to like, um, being against me and what I'm doing, it was more speaking to my skill level and communicating when I first started the business. So I posted a, a post that I made on my blog. I posted it on Reddit and people were like, what you Because the angle I was taking was, guys, you deserve to be respected more than you are. And they were like, oh, go to the Red Pill Forum. Do you know anything about the Red Pill? It's I don't know. It's back to more PUA crazy. It's just crazy. So being misunderstood and then, you know, that was that that was the most painful thing I've experienced is being really misunderstood because I couldn't express myself, okay, as well when I was first starting. At this point, um, it's, it's, it's annoying when I talk to people who were like, oh, I w- and this is how they say, I've only talked to a couple people like this. It's really not that prevalent. And if you think about it, that's not that many considering how many people talk to you about the business, talk to a lot of people about it. But just a couple have said, oh, I was telling my friend about you. And he said, oh, how, do, how is a woman going to help men with dating and attraction? So they just kind of say that and they've kind of left it there. A couple of guys have said that. Mm-hmm. And then I've had other people that have become my clients or even just friends of mine and just people who it's like, okay, well, if I want to understand women, then who better to learn from than a woman? So you, you can make an argument in both of those cases, but because um, I, I just feel like because of all these filters that I have, I'm just surrounded by amazing men who I respect and who respect me. So while I know that there's going to be plenty of people who either wouldn't understand or wouldn't feel that it's valid what I'm doing, that's neither here nor there. It, it really is neither here nor there to me. Yeah. The reason I ask that is because I've observed in my years of doing, doing what I do that women who are doing something provocative or outside of the box or definitely having to do with, you know, sex and sometimes even money get much more character bashing going on than men doing the same thing. And so we can just go down a long list of of women and, and minor celebrities, major celebrities, who the fact that they were a woman, they caught more ire and attention and, you know, flaming than if it were a guy doing the same thing. So I would wonder if given what you do, you know, if you had experienced any of that, but it doesn't sound like you have. So that's fantastic. I hope it never does. Yeah, happen. I haven't really happily. Yeah. It's been pretty chill over here. Fantastic. Maybe, maybe it's 2015 and the world is, is not nearly <laughs> as myopic so. as it used to be. Alrighty. So let's pivot a little bit. Um, so I really wanted to set this up so that people got an idea of what you were doing and some of the challenges and just, you know, really understood your take on thing, because I want to switch to talk a little bit about, the intersection between creativity and strategy. And, and, you know, you mentioned that this was something that really interested you about it. And especially since this training that you had prior to, well, the spiritual sort of artistic background that you had didn't prepare you to be a strategic thinker. It didn't really um, give you a strategic skill set. Um, Tell me a little bit about your evolution on that front and and really what the difference has made for you as you started to cultivate more of this alignment between creativity and strategy. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, where I grew up, I was just talking about this earlier that, I mean, 
and this ties in what we just said about, okay, well, it's 2015 now, like, thankfully, things are more respectful for all parties. But this doesn't have to do with respect as much as it just has to do with assumptions within culture. So when I was growing up in Alabama, I'm in San Francisco now, I grew up in Alabama, um, there was a joke that's a little bit sad and ironic, but whatever, it was a joke, that women go to school to get their MRS degree, MRS standing for Mrs., meaning you know, you go there to find a man, Mm -hmm. okay, who will take care of you. So you just go there, you finish school, but you're not going to use it. And you get a teaching degree, by the way. Yeah, sorry. Oh, you you can, yeah, yeah, you you get a teaching degree or maybe nursing, but like, you you know, as soon as you start having kids, that's it. And there are some people who more, you know, more power to them, go for it. You know what I mean? But I kind of thought that that was the option, not necessarily looking for a man. I wasn't like on the hunt for a man necessarily. I'm not saying that other women are. I'm just saying that that whole joke of going for an MRS degree. But I, I was just kind of like deferring my fate, you know, to God, whatever that I was just like, that's God's role. God's going to take care of me. That was literally my frame every day. I woke up and went to bed thinking that. And I thought, I just get to chill out and just, you know, study art and not think about a plan. God's going to take care of me. That was my frame. It's funny and sad in many ways because that's just, you know, other people think that too. It sucks to think that because you don't feel like you're in control of anything. You're just trying to wait for things to happen. Mm -hmm. So I kind of kept on thinking that in ways here and there. And then, you know, I was maybe 23, 24 and I was like, actually, let me, let me actually think about what I can do that is going to make my everyday life more fulfilling because the job I had wasn't very fulfilling. And then I really went on this quest for a few years. And sometimes that's pretty much most of what I was doing was really thinking and reading and, and, and thinking, how can I open my mind to be more strategic and take responsibility for myself? It's my responsibility to make my life. Nobody or nothing is going to come in and do it for me. And that was a rude awakening moment. That was a series of moments over, over the course of really a few years. I was realizing that more and more. Even still, I went through coaching school, learned some things, but I still kind of thought things were going to fall from the heavens and everything was going to come together just without my strategically making it so. Then I found um, uh, uh, Ramit Sethi's teachings, which was maybe 2011, I first found him. And I really liked him, and I told him I was one of um, the case studies for the Zero to Launch program that he has. And in that conversation I had with him, uh, I was telling him that there was all kinds of, oh, just believe everything is going to be perfect, emails in my inbox every day, different newsletters, right? That's what I was subscribed to. But his was like, you know, the kick in the pants email that really felt nice to round out the light and fluffy feelings. Was He was like, guess what, guys? you got to make it happen and, you know, stop bullshitting yourself and all the stuff he would say. Mm-hmm. So I really liked having that in my inbox. <laughs> it made me laugh and it, it felt like there was something definitely true about that I should pay more attention to. So I followed him over the years. And then uh, last year only, was it last year only? Yes, only last year, 2014, I found out that Zero to Launch was coming out, which is his his course on creating your online business. Mm-hmm. And at that time I was working with the other dating coaching company, but I thought, okay, let me take this course. Cause I know he's a strategic thinker. Mm-hmm. And as long as I can understand and do what he's saying, 
I know I can do it. I know Mm -hmm. I can do it. So I did. I walked through his course and literally that course and him as an example and a teacher helped me create the business. And the reason why I could get on board with his strategy was he kept on saying, create create an artisanal brand. And knowing, you know, my art background, that really spoke to me was I wanted it to be artful. I wanted it to be beautiful. I didn't want to have some cheesy, weird, you know, blinking lights, crazy website. I wanted to have a beautiful, thoughtful website that was also smart. So ever since I started taking his course and learning it and then applying it every day, I'm like, okay, how do I not be weird in my sales and marketing? Okay, Sarah, let's not be weird. Just don't be weird today. It's my (laughs) joke with myself. And my other thing is, okay, how can I be smart? Let's just try to be smart today. All right, how can I be smart? And it's just kind of funny, fun things I say to myself, but I'm serious because those things help me, have helped me create this trying to be smart and trying not to be weird. That's that. Those are my mottos right now. <laughs> wow. Because, you know, normally when I try to be smart, it's weird. And so I'm like, <laughs> damn, I, I get to, I, I get to be either smart or not weird, but I don't seem to get, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Both those questions. It's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have to like, try not to be creepy. Okay. I can not be creepy and still be weird and everything's okay. Right. Um, but then again, I, I'm not a dating coach. And so there are different challenges, you know, based upon what we do. Yeah, that's true. Alrighty. Well, um, there's something that you've, what I, what I like about what you've done is you've, you actually, aside from the, the mission of serving introverted men, um, you also have this secondary mission of ending human trafficking. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, because I think that's one, just a really phenomenal way um, to really take a cause and do something with it. It also is a really phenomenal way to um, to build a business that, that has many different layers of social good to it. So let's talk about the uh, about your fire around human trafficking and why you think your business is particularly um, suited to address that problem. For sure, yeah. So uh, the reason why that came into the forefront for me was I was having a conversation with one of my mentors about just the deeper, deeper, deeper mission in my company that um, addresses um, a need that's not as based on, you know, intellect and understanding. Like the men I help are in a good spot already. It's just this one thing that's a problem. And, but there's so much horror that's happening in the world that is just crazy. And so we were talking about that and like, what would be especially meaningful just for me personally, if I were to have any business, like, I think that would be my secondary mission with any business and it just fits nicely with this one. So I'll talk about it in order of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a kid, I, there was a lot of, of course, beautiful things about my childhood, but there were some real challenges and some real ways in which um, I didn't feel safe, okay, and protected and um, respected. Mm-hmm. And so that's a personal thing that I've personally grown through in my own life from my own childhood. And there was no sexual abuse in my childhood, thank God. But if I were to imagine the worst kind of feeling unsafe and unprotected, that's it. Okay. Way worse than what I experienced, but along the same lines of what I personally experienced, but in much more intense 
degree mm-hmm. in how I would imagine it. So going straight to that seems to be the straightest and most direct path to help alleviate the pain that I most personally and deeply experienced, but just on a whole nother level than what I ever experienced. So that's on a personal level why I chose that because going in the direction of what was harmful for me, but just taking it all the way to the extreme. Okay. Um, and then in terms of how it folds into the business, um, it's the relationship between men and women and, or between the male and the female and healing that. And I don't often use the word healing as much because I talk to these very linear logical guys, although they do love meditation and all kinds of spiritual things. I do bring that in and they're all game for it, which I love that. But <laughs> that's kind of how I see the business mission of helping introverted men attract women. And then also these women uh, and, and girls helping them to, to be safe and the not for sale campaign um, group that I um, uh, uh, support, that everything about what they do, I respect and admire it so much. It's you know, I, as I mentioned with artisanal branding, I'm a really big fan of beautiful design and great branding, and they definitely have that. So they caught my attention because it reflects so much about a business underneath. If you can have really cohesive and concise and and beautiful, um, you know, design and way of speaking, that to me that indicates that you know what you're doing and you're effective in to the nitty gritty of the business. So I'm just so grateful that they exist and that I can. It's it's as easy as me, you know know giving some resource to them it's it's not you know a ton i'm thinking resource from a lot of places but it's it's just a small way that i can support them and that that larger um uh, problem help to address that yeah and you mentioned in your materials that there's a link between um men's sexual desire and human trafficking right of course and so talk to us a little bit about that yeah, of course. Yeah. So when men feel like, and it's hard for me to imagine, it's just kind of a stomach churning, even just imagining the men in those positions that exploit these girls in that way. It's it's upsetting just to even imagine that. But what I would imagine is that they feel a lack. They feel, you know, they don't, there, there's something missing. There's something that they can't get. There's something that they have to take by force to, in order to have it. And that you know, hurting people hurt people. Okay. So it comes from, and that's not an excuse. That's just an origin story of why shitty things happen. Okay. So, so they're feeling that pain and it's channeling into anger and exploitation. So the men that I work with feel the similar lack and, uh, and pain. And there's sometimes a little bit of anger there, a little bit of resentment towards women. I see in some clients, not all even, but some I do see that. Um, but in, in my core group of clients and the clients that I most speak to through my work is like they feel that pain and it just makes them sad. They don't exploit others, but it hurts. So for all of these men, it's very painful. And it's this, it's like as a man, men want to feel like they can attract women. It's this primal thing. They want to feel that. And if there's something that they feel this lack, that there's something that they can't have, for some, and it makes them sad. And those are the ones that I help to where we overcome the problem together. And for some, it just becomes this whole awful monster thing. So, but the deep, deep origin of a sense of lack uh, where there's sexual desire involved, that, that I think is what I'm kind of wanting to address from both angles. Good, good. And I'm glad we went that way because what I was wanting to do is show how you're layering meaning and strategy and art 
all into one cohesive unit, right? And so a lot of times when people think about strategy, they think about it being cold or devoid of meaning and devoid of compassion and devoid of things like that. But there are ways in which you can bake that into the core of what it is that you do, right? And so thanks for telling for sure. us that to sort of show how that inter- that interweaves. Interweaves. For sure. Thank you yeah. for asking it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for asking about it. Um, it, it, it yeah, that that's something that was... I'm just surely just so grateful to Ramit. I just wrote him the other day, just thanking him for for the impact that he made on on me and my business and starting with this artisanal thing and marrying the strategy and the art and the meaning. Um, it, it's something like you said, that's not talked about that much. I feel that he addresses it um, really beautifully in a way that I certainly could understand and integrate and practice. Um, but I think for a lot of people that come from a more spiritual, creative background like myself, I mean, I was turned off by strategy for a long time because I just thought it was like so boring and awful and stuffy and corporate in like a, a stuffy way. I wasn't into that. I'm an artist, you know, but you can be both. And thank God when we're both, it's so fun. <laughs> it's way more fun than not having strategy. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about this, as someone who writes a lot about strategy and does a lot with strategy, is the cultural the cultural way in which the word has infused the business world is actually relatively new. Um, so even when Peter Drucker was writing, um, oh, which one was it? Let me see. It's on my shelf. Um, management managing for results. He wanted to call it business strategy, but the editors at the time were like, "No, that's strategy is for the military." Right. And so it's oh, got this it's got this very militarist militaristic combative nature to it. And it's only been the last six or seven decades to where now we say strategy and we apply like my strategy for changing the tires on my car. And it's like that's not really what we mean by strategy, but okay. Right. And so it's got both this manipula not this it's got this military um cultural connotation to it, but it also has this cold and detached and doesn't seem to fit everything. So, um, yeah, we have a long way to go to making strategy, um, hmm, detangling some of those other meetings from what strategy is um, into um, just the general frameworks by which we make decisions in business and life, you know? Totally. It's really so interesting that that's where it came from. And now that you say that, well, that makes sense. Like military strategy, there's the strategy, and then there's the tactics. So I think we've come a long way in just several decades of untangling that. And like you said, there's a lot more work to be done, um, but I think it's definitely happening. People are doing it and it's it's beautiful to, to watch and be a part of and all do it together. Yeah, absolutely. So starting to wrap things up, what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Okay. Well, it's a it's a good problem, and the problem is catching up to all the good things that are here in my life and in my business. So, you know, when we are working towards something and we want something, um, we're very present to the current challenges of making that happen. Once we create that, then there's a whole new set of challenges, which is more uncertainty, like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to another level now. That's a little disorienting in a good way, in a good way, but still a little disorienting. And just the sense of responsibility of, okay, well, let me definitely take this full on of what this next level is like and how can I craft it and create it 
create it just as I did with the last level. So I just finished um, my flagship product, a huge product. I just created it last week. I finished it. So there's this big, wide open space that I'm quickly, even this week, I was talking with my team this morning, how much is happening this week of exciting the next wave of growth in the business and and for myself and specifically this next up leveling that uh, I didn't, couldn't quite see it until I got here was the, the opportunity and really the responsibility to really turn off and enjoy, completely enjoy. It's like I noticed there's been this part of me that is very comfortable enjoying myself in the midst of strategic creation. I'm extremely comfortable enjoying, I enjoy myself a lot in that way. But what about the part of me that that wants to enjoy just being and more sensual things like food and relaxation and, you know, non goal oriented per se, more playful things. So it interestingly, it's a little edgy to go there and develop that part of myself. But I know that that's really needed in order to have the business go to the next level too. And more importantly than the business, just life happening. Like how can I artfully live, artfully make a business, but in larger context, artfully live. Why do you think that's challenging for you to sort of sh- turn off the the doing is what I would say. Turn off the doing and get to the being. Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I've I've thought about it, but I'm about to think of it a lot more. If we catch up in a month, I'll have a lot more to say about that. But but for now, I think well, when I notice that when I think about not doing, there's just this this anxiety that's there of oh, I should be, but there's so much to do. And there's something about the the quiet that is on the one hand so enticing to me, but on the other hand, so unsettling. And I sometimes wonder if we want to get really deep. I sometimes wonder if it's like just the knowing that one day I'm going to die. We all do one day. And this that is the most stillness that is possible, that's complete, that's no life, stillness. So I think there's kind of like a little mini dying that happens in resting or like a meditation moment or even just a a complete non-doing moment that I think is a little unsettling to me. Um, And I think it's it's coming to the larger terms of the whole big picture if we want to get super, super deep because that's where we just went. <laughs> well, I love the super deep. And, I, you know, it's one that's a common challenge. And especially, I, w- I was talking to somebody else about this. Musicians know this when they go on tour and they come off tour. There's often a depression period that follows the tour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you've gone on a major book launch, there's a depression period that happens after that book launch. When you go on a product launch, there's a depression period that happens naturally. And it happens for different reasons, but we know it's a pattern. Um, And so a lot of people will reach that point to where whatever major activity that they're doing, where they get in the feedback and the love and the flow and everything's all good, when that goes away, (laughs) there's this depression. And sometimes we turn, sometimes, you know, people turn to drugs, they turn to sex, they turn to all sorts of unhealthy behaviors, but it's just part of it, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it in terms of all these different kinds of creations and industries. It makes perfect sense because there's so much quiet after that. You know, it's like we crave it so much when we're in it, like, oh my God, I just want to rest. 
But then when the rest is there, it's like, what the hell do I do with all this rest? <laughs> yeah. What do I do with all this rest? And depending upon one's psyche, do they still love me? Right. So that feedback that you've been getting, especially if you're a performer or if you're doing anything, you go through a major launch, there's this big period to where, you know, there's a lot of attention, there's a lot of sales, there's a lot of excitement. And when that goes away, yeah. there's this fundamental like being yanked from the dopamine, being yanked from that yeah. social feedback. And it's like, do they still love me now that I'm not here? And what do I do if I don't, if they don't, maybe I need to go check on that. Maybe I could just stay busy instead because I like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, those moments are so good for reflecting on the way that we frame things and, you know, our sense of 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 being loved and having value, like where that comes from. Um, it's, you know, sometimes those moments that are challenging, of course, we all know this and talk about this, but it's it's fresh whenever it happens again. Those moments are such learning moments. Big learning moments. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so if there is only one thing that we remember, or there's only one thing that people will take away and remember from you, what would you want that to be? I would say to really front load the work of this art piece of your life, if you think about it as an art piece, by saying, okay, who am I really like? Who do I love? What do I love about myself? And this is not a bragging thing. This is a love, a love thing. What do I love about myself? And then what environments, activities, uh, non-activities, resting, people, everything is most conducive and supportive to that. And I think that's a really good way to warm up strategy and, uh, and really make a super, super kick-ass experience. That's fantastic. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Charlie. This has been a lot of fun. It's thank you so much. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Sarah. What can you do to find those things that you love about yourself and do the things that nourish that part of yourself? Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.